Well, it's good to see you all here this morning. My name is Tim Park. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting for the first time, a very special welcome to our church this morning. For our church family, you know that this has been a very heavy week for our church. And many of you received an email from me this past week letting you know about um, a tragic uh, accident. One of our dear church members, Tommy Chang, uh, tragically drowned uh, while snorkeling in Maui uh, this past Monday. And uh, we are heartbroken. We are absolutely heartbroken. And um, I want to show you a, a picture of Tommy and his family. Tommy and his wife, Gina, and their two children, Joshua and Sophia. What is so significant about this photo is that it was taken the day before the accident. Uh, Tommy had set up this photo session in Maui as a Mother's Day gift to, to Gina. And uh, just the next day, he tragically drowned. And um, all of a sudden, there was a, a strong south swell and high tide. And we received the word, and um, this entire week has just been... Uh, devastating for our church family. Thank you to all of you who've reached out and uh, been wanting to support and care for Gina and um, and Joshua and, and Sophia. Uh, Gina, we love you. And uh, we thank God for a church family who, who is ready and eager to support Gina and uh, Joshua and, and Sophia. And uh, if you'd like to find out ways to support and to help, uh, you can reach out to our church uh, office at office at efreedb.org, office at efreedb.org, and we can make sure that uh, we let you know how you could help. Uh, thank you to Tommy and Gina's Rooted Group uh, for coming alongside Gina and their kids. Uh, her rooted group has started a, a meal train. And if you'd like to participate, again, let us know at office at efreedb.org and we'll make sure um, we'll let you know the information there. And uh, funeral arrangements will be made later this week and so we'll pass along that yeah, information. And in the midst of the most tragic a situation we take comfort in knowing that Tommy is in the presence of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We take comfort in that. Uh, I know uh, I will miss Tommy's smile on the patio. It was a big, vibrant smile on the patio. And so, uh, would you pause and bow with me? We want to go before the Lord. And Father, we come before you today. And we 
in the midst of this tragedy, we know that you are our refuge and strength in times of trouble. You are just that. And we do not pretend to know why things happen. We just know that you are our strength and refuge in times of need. And so, Father, we ask that you would be just that to Gina and to Joshua and Sophia. And, Father, for our church family, uh, first of all, God, you have blessed our church with the most compassionate, caring hearts who are eager and ready to, to come alongside and to support and care for Gina and Joshua and Sophia in any way we can. And so we pray, God, that as we are given opportunities, that we are reminded that we are uh, the church. And thank you, God, for using your church in this most difficult time. Lord, as we open your word, we are so grateful for your word because it is constant in every season. It is ready to encourage us. It is ready to convict us. It is ready to transform our lives. And God, we anticipate just that today because every time we open your word, no matter where we are, what we are facing, your word speaks to us and you are ready to touch us at our core today. So we thank you in advance for what you will teach us in Mark chapter 9. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of this morning's message is From Self-Reliance and Unbelief to Trusting in Christ. From Self-Reliance and Unbelief to Trusting in Christ. We're still in Act 2 of this three-act drama that Mark has laid out for us in his gospel. And last week, if you were here, if you tuned in online, you remember we talked a lot about mountaintop experiences. Mountaintop experiences are important in our lives because mountaintop experiences, they help us to be refreshed, to be recharged so that we can come back down the mountain and do all the hard work because all the hard work takes place in the valley. Mountaintop experiences are spectacular. They're wonderful. They get us pumped up. But so much of the hard work is down below in the daily grind. Peter, James, and John, three of the closest, the three closest disciples to Jesus, they experienced the mountaintop experiences of all mountaintop experiences. When they walked up that mountain with Jesus and when they saw his appearance transformed as he was transfigured, and they witnessed Jesus giving them just a glimpse, a small glimpse of his glory. On that mountaintop, Jesus, he revealed himself as the Messiah. And so Peter, James, and John, they had a, an experience they would never forget on that mountaintop. But then they had to walk down the mountain. They had to come back down. And when they descended that mountain with Jesus, it wasn't long before reality hit them. And that's what we're going to look at today in our passage, what takes place down the mountain. So in your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to pick up starting in verse 14. 
Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. And we're going to see what happened when the three disciples met up with the other nine disciples. When they, that's Peter, James, and John, returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. So it didn't take long for these three disciples to come back down and face reality. And when they reached the bottom of the mountain, they were greeted by a large crowd. And they were also greeted by a group of religious leaders who were in an arguing mood like they were often in. And what was with all this commotion? And that's what Jesus wanted to know. And so let's look at verses 16 through 18. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Now, first of all, let's not overlook the fact that this man must have been so desperate to have his son freed from this evil spirit. You know, one of the worst things, well, the worst thing that a parent can experience is a suffering child, right? Any loving parent would rather suffer a hundred times over than to see a child suffer. So just imagine how desperate this father must have been, that he brought his child to these disciples, knowing, thinking, hoping that they would be able to cast out the evil spirit. But they couldn't. And the question is this. Why couldn't the nine disciples cast out this evil spirit? Why? Later on in our passage, we'll be given the answer. But before we get to the end of our passage, I'd like us to turn back to a previous passage that we looked at in Mark chapter 6. So turn back to Mark 6, and I'm going to begin in the middle of verse 6 to a passage that we studied some weeks ago that will give us some insight into this current situation. Mark 6, in the beginning or the middle of verse 6, it says this, Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. That's important to note. He gave them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick. No food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. So here in chapter 6, we learn that Jesus gives his disciples a mission. He sends them out two by two, and he gives them authority to cast out evil spirits. In other words, when the disciples were sent out, they were sent out as Jesus' representatives. Another word for a representative is the word proxy. Are you familiar with the word proxy? 
A proxy serves as an official rep. It's as if the person himself or herself was there. So you are sent out as a proxy, and Jesus gave his disciples all the authority that he had to cast out evil spirits. Now, we also learn in this passage in chapter 6 that Jesus says, when you go out, take no food, no bag, no money. In other words, don't take your trail mix. Don't take your fancy backpack. Leave all your cash at home when you go hiking. Now, that's just the opposite of what we would do, right? If we go out camping or hiking, we pack it with everything possible. Jesus says, no. Just go with the shirt on your back, and if your shirt gets dirty, then flip it inside out. (laughs) Just like every other article of clothing. Just flip it inside out. But why? Why would Jesus send his disciples out on a mission with nothing with the shirt on their backs. Here's why. It would keep them utterly dependent on God. And when you are utterly dependent on God, it keeps you humble. That's why. When we are utterly dependent on God, it keeps us humble. Now, in our passage for today, the man asked the disciples, to cast out the evil spirit. In fact, he begged them. He pleaded with them. But they couldn't. Even though Jesus gave them authority to do so, right? Chapter 6 tells us he gave them all authority to cast out evil spirits. And yet why couldn't the nine disciples cast out this evil spirit? We'll talk more about that in just a bit. But let's continue on. We'll pick it up in verse 19. In chapter 9, verse 19, Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. All right. If it sounds like Jesus is a little bit irritated here, it's not because he's a mean person, all right? Okay. Oh, how rude, Jesus. That's no way to talk to people. So it's not that at all. You have to understand, Jesus was on a mission. He had no time to waste. Do you know how long Jesus' earthly ministry was? How long? How many years? Three years. Three years is such a short amount of time. He had no time to sit around. He was on a mission. So, if it sounds like Jesus was disappointed in the crowds, 
It was because they had seen him perform miracle after miracle, healing after healing. They had seen him cast one spirit after another out of people, and yet they still would not believe. So yes, he was disappointed. And he was disappointed in this father because the father says to him, help me if you can. If you can. And you can be certain of this. Jesus was also disappointed in his nine disciples. The nine disciples who were unable to cast out this evil spirit, even though they had been given the authority to do so. Again, we'll come back to that thought in a few minutes. But let's continue on. Verse 24. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd, that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. So the father cries out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now, that's a strange, strange statement. Which one is it, Dad? It's like, I do believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. What an unusual cry. But I want you to know this. I think that you and I have to kind of appreciate the honesty in that statement. There's something so genuine about his doubt. My paraphrase, my modern-day paraphrase of this father's statement would go something like this. Jesus, I do believe, but I want to believe even more. But I have doubts. Help me to overcome my doubts. Jesus, I believe, but every so often I have doubts. Maybe you said that in your own life in one way or another. I do believe, but I have doubts. Are you familiar with the uh, team building exercise? It was popular some years ago. Maybe it's still popular now amongst uh, workplaces, businesses, maybe even church staffs. Uh, it's called the trust fall. Maybe you participated in the trust fall. And the trust fall goes something like this. You stand with your back to the people behind you, like your teammates, your office workers, uh, friends, hopefully not enemies, right? <laughs> and so you stand with your back to the people behind you, and you close your eyes, and you fold your arms across your chest, and then you fall straight back. And the whole idea is you trust the people behind you to catch you, to break your fall. And I imagine most of the time, people who fall back, they, they trust their co-workers, their teammates, their staff members. But I have to imagine doubt can creep in. Like, I, I trust them, but they don't look that strong. Or, or I trust them, but what if, what if 
they miscommunicate. What if one person thinks the other's going to catch me? And the other person thinks the other's going to catch me. And then when my head hits the ground, they look at each other. What happened? And so I think even though we trust, sometimes doubt can creep in. That was the idea here. The father says, Lord, I believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. It's possible that you've said that in your life. And even if you've never said those exact words, it's possible that doubt creeps in. And when doubt creeps in, when we lack faith, what happens is this. Oftentimes, we end up taking matters into our own hands. God, I know you want the best for me. God, I know you have the right plan for my life, but I can't wait around any longer. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And we often apply that to things like careers, relationships, finances. God, I just can't wait, so I'm going to take the first job that comes my way. And we apply that to so many areas of our lives. We know he wants the best for us. But sometimes life doesn't make sense. God, why is this happening in my life? Or, God, why isn't this happening in my life yet? And that's when doubt starts to creep in. I want you to hold that thought because we're going to read the final two verses in our passage, and then we're going to come back full circle and, and connect all these elements. But let's continue on in verse 28. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. So why couldn't the nine disciples cast out this evil spirit? They sincerely wanted to know, right? Because they knew that Jesus gave them authority back in chapter 6. They had all authority, and they were confused. Jesus, why couldn't we? Help us to understand, why couldn't we cast out this evil spirit? One commentator gives us insight. He says it was because they were careless in their spiritual walk and they neglected prayer. They were careless in their spiritual walk and they had neglected prayer. Jesus said this kind can only be cast out by prayer which assumes the disciples didn't pray. Listen to the words of one commentator. He says this, The authority that Jesus had given them was effective only if exercised by faith, but faith must be cultivated through spiritual discipline and devotion. Can I say that again? The authority that Jesus gave them was effective only if exercised by faith, but 
faith must be cultivated through spiritual discipline and devotion. Did you know that faith takes work? Have you ever thought about that? Faith takes a lot of hard work. And did you know that faith can increase the more you work at it? And I'll go even further and say this. Did you know that faith can decrease if we neglect it? In other words, your faith and my faith, it's not haphazard. It's not a haphazard exercise. We cannot wish increased faith into existence. You know, oftentimes, well-intentioned Christians, they plead with God, God, please give me more faith. We beg. But then, if we don't spend consistent time studying His Word, but then, if we don't cultivate a consistent prayer life, but then, if we neglect gathering together with other members of the body of Christ to be sharpened spiritually, how can that faith grow? We can plead all we want, but faith takes work. It is hard work. So many times Christians want spiritual fireworks, but they are not willing to do the work. Right? They want the spectacular, and they forget how much hard work it takes down below. Tomorrow night, when you are watching your favorite professional fireworks display, I want you to know this. That fireworks display, it didn't come about haphazardly. The fireworks operator won't show up two minutes before 9 p.m., and go to the control panel and go, ooh, that button looks nice, and that button looks nice, and that one, I'll push that one, and that one, and that one. No, no, no. That's silly, right? The fireworks display that you'll see tomorrow night will be the culmination of hours upon days and even weeks of rehearsal, practice, timing. When you go to the stadium to watch your favorite team, when you go to the concert hall to watch your favorite musical act, you know what you're watching? Do you know what you're listening to? You're listening to years and years of showing up to practice every single day, rehearsing every single day. success on the field or on the stage, it does not happen haphazardly. If you've ever watched a professional golf tournament on television, you may not know this, but after a grueling golf tournament, many of the golfers, after all the cameras are gone, they will actually go back to the driving range that night and hit hundreds of more golf balls. You see, on television, when we see a professional golfer hit a golf ball out of the bunker and has it land six inches from the cup or maybe into the cup, we think, wow, that golfer makes it look so easy. 
what we fail to understand is that shot is the culmination of thousands of practice shots from that same spot over and over and over again. That's the kind of devotion it takes to increase our faith. It will not happen. It will not happen haphazardly. And that is why, church, whenever you come to church for a worship service, for a Bible study, for a gathering, for an event, whether it's for yourself, your children, your youth, please know this. Please know that the leaders of our church have spent hours upon hours preparing for that lesson, that worship set, that message, that spiritual exercise. Our leaders don't just show up and think to themselves, well, I don't really have anything planned, but I'm good at making stuff up on the spot. Faith is increased when we devote ourselves to increasing that faith. It takes hard work. And I want you to know the leaders of our church, they know how important your faith is. They know how important the faith of your children is, which is why they work so hard preparing with intention to help grow your faith. So, here now is the connection. Okay? Here now is the connection between what the nine disciples experienced when they could not cast out the evil spirit. And the father who so desperately wanted the evil spirit to be cast out of his son. Here's the connection. The lesson that the disciples learned was that they needed to move away from self-reliance. The lesson that the father learned was he needed to move away from doubt and unbelief. And both could only do that by trusting in the power of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Leaders, here's a sobering fact. The nine disciples failed to cast out that evil spirit because they got good at casting out evil spirits. Did you catch that? They failed to cast out that evil spirit because they got so good at casting out evil spirits that they skipped the most important step, prayer. And they began to rely only on their ability. And let's face it, the more practiced we get at something, the better we become. And that's often where our Reliance on self takes over. It's a sobering reminder to all the leaders of our church. The nine disciples relied on their own human ability. 
and they wondered why they couldn't cast out that evil spirit. They skipped the most important step. When we skip the most important step, it's going to eventually catch up to us. We may not see the results right away. We may, build, we may be able to get the job done, but eventually it's going to catch up to us. It'll catch up to us. I want to close our time by going back to a passage we studied way back at the beginning. Chapter 1. Remember chapter 1? It was a long time ago. But turn in your Bibles to chapter 1, verse 35. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says this. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Now, the context is this. The night before was a very long night of ministry for Jesus. Ministering, serving the crowds. Ministry takes a lot out of us, doesn't it? You can shake your head, yes. <laughs> ministry is tiring. We can say yes to that because it made Jesus tired. If it made Jesus tired, then <laughs> certainly it's okay if we say yes. Ministry is tiring. Jesus got tired. But after a night of what had to have been only a couple hours of sleep, this passage says that he woke up before daybreak while it was still dark, and then he went off to a quiet place. And when it says that he went off to a quiet place, keep in mind, I don't think that he stepped like one yard over. I think he laboriously went far off intentionally. He spent so much time intentionally going off to a far place to be with his heavenly Father. The prayer life of Jesus is quite humbling. Even if the Bible never once mentioned that Jesus prayed, you and I, we would understand how important prayer is because there are so many passages that talk about the importance of prayer. So even if the Bible never once talked about Jesus praying, we would think prayer is so important. But the very fact that the Bible tells us time and time again, Jesus went off to an isolated place. He went away. It tells us just how humbling his prayer life is. In the Christian life, in the Christian walk, we, we talk so much about being like Jesus, right? I want to be like Jesus. Be more like Jesus. Be more like Jesus this week. Well, if we want to be more like Jesus, if we want to trust him more, if we want to trust less in ourselves, if we want our faith to increase, then the starting point might well be the prayer life of Jesus. That's the starting point. If you want to be like Jesus this week, and you tell yourself, I want to be more like Jesus, and yet if you do not pray, how can you be more like Jesus? Prayer is a starting point. And that is a sobering reminder to all of us as leaders. 
because much like the nine disciples, we can get so good at doing ministry that we skip the most important step. If you're in a meeting with leadership, elders, staff members, other groups here, and if you have a full agenda to get through and you spend time praying and you've run out of time and you couldn't get to the agenda, that's okay. Don't worry about it because you've done the most important thing. And yet how quick are we to uh, look at an agenda and go, man, we got to get through this. So someone say a quick prayer. It's a sobering reminder. If we want to be more like Jesus, church, and who doesn't, right? If we want to be more like Jesus, then the starting point is, in fact, the prayer life of Jesus. This week, may we consider carving out a day, finding a solitary place, go off somewhere, carve out a time. If it's been a while, this week, there's no better time than this week. As we become more like Jesus in our prayer life, as we move further and further away from self-reliance and further and further away from unbelief, then we will then be able to increase our faith. That's my prayer for myself and for all of you this morning.